Ever heard of the twisties and yips? <laughs> yes, I am speaking English. <laughs> uh, um, twisties in particular refer to a phenomenon in the gymnast world. And there was a story this week about this particular issue. The twisties are when gymnasts are mid-air and they lose touch with their bodies in a way. That's how it's described. It's described as, as kind of like the mind and the body all of a sudden detaching and working against each other instead of together. It's also, I think, in some ways described as the mind failing to or trying to kind of jump in where most of the routines and the and the high-level world of gymnasts is muscle memory, right? It's just the body knowing what to do, and all of a sudden the mind tries to jump in, and it's disorienting. Uh, Simone Biles, this, is, this was a high-profile story this past week from the 2021 Olympics, right? Simone Biles, which is the top of the top, she's the best U.S. gymnast, right, who typically have the best gymnasts. They almost always win gold. And this year, and the, I forget what event it was, uh, it was a group event. I think it was the, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the event. But it's like, the, you know, there's there's three or four from each country, and they they perform like a lot of different routines and uh, balance beam and, and floor routine, and it's all put together. And it's like, the, it's the I think it's the biggest uh, competition in uh, because it involves the most people and the most routines, but like in the middle of that particular competition, Simone Biles had this moment on the vault where she had the twisties, and it it's so disorienting. She could not continue. She actually dropped out of the Olympics. She dropped out of that particular um, competition. And she dropped out, I think, for good. Because she got the twisties. What the heck does that have to do with hearing God? Hey guys, this is the Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. I am a spiritual director, a teacher of contemplation, and a carpenter. <laughs> oh, it's on. It's, it's early. I'm on the trails. So, just letting you know... Um, I got my spider web stick because uh, there's spider webs because I'm out early. It's early morning. Um, but I want to talk to you today about twisties and yips. So yips is just a, a similar term in the realm of golf. It's just when golfers just start to kind of lose their concentration, right? It's another it's another head game type thing. Uh, my wife and I like to watch... Sorry, I'm just noticing a spider crawling around in front of me as my spider web stick catches spiders. And I see him. I'm tr- I couldn't tell if it was like a bug flying by, but then it's a spider. Anyway, um, just kind of see him momentarily as he moves. Anyway, my wife and I watch uh, football, American football, (laughs) not soccer. (laughs) Um, And there's another thing kind of similar in football. It's called getting chippy. It's when you just see 
uh, announcers will start to talk about individual players or teams getting chippy. It's when they start to lose their headspace again, right? Start to get frustrated. They get they get, you know, maybe the other team's getting in their head. They're usually they're losing and they're not they're like losing badly and they start to get frustrated. What they lose their focus, right? They lose their they lose control of their headspace, right? In a sense, they get, it's a disorienting type of experience. What's that got to do with hearing God? Today I want to talk about um, perception. How we perceive the world, how we interact with the world, how we think the world works, you could say. The order to the world. There is an order to the world which is not of God. Did you know that? Yeah. Um... This is, I think, a good example of this is when Jesus was tempted by Satan, and one of the temptations was Satan offered him all the kingdoms of the earth. Right? You know that? That was one of the temptations, one of the three. Well, Jesus, you know, if, if Satan was simply just lying, it would have been easy to refute that offer for Jesus just to say, hey, those don't belong to you. You can't offer those. But he didn't say that. He said, my allegiance is to God. Because he says, if you worship me, then I'll give you power over all the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus didn't deny the fact that Satan has power over all the kingdoms of the earth. What the heck is he talking about? Why didn't Jesus just say, you don't have that, Satan? Because he does. Satan, there is an order to the world... And there's a mind behind that order, and that mind behind that order is Satan. Satan set the world up to work a certain way. Whoa, but, whoa, 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 but I thought God was sovereign over the world. Scripture says God's sovereign over the world, in fact. God created the world, right? God's involved in the world, right? Yes, of course. Well, the first thing we need to understand is when we see the phrase, the world, it, it, we, it's not referring to the physical, natural world. God created the, the cosmos, right? God, God's the creator God. He created the cosmos, and he is the creator of the natural world. And so the natural world, we could say, follows the order God created it for. Even though it is fallen, we can say it still operates according to the natural order. When scripture talks about the world, it talks about an ordered system, or when it uses the phrase, the world. It's, it's actually better translated as an organized system or a system of order. So Satan has a system of order, which is in the world, which constitutes how many things work, not everything, but it is a system of organizing human culture, human governments, human institutions in a way that is in opposition to God's order, right? There are two kingdoms in the world, Satan's and God's, and they both represent an order, uh, an order, a way of doing things, a way of understanding things, a way of perceiving things. It's a system of perception. It is a mindset. Do you see where I'm going yet? (laughs) There is a mindset to the way Satan's ordered system works, and there's a mindset to the way God's system of order works. And 
Satan's ordered system is a system of control. It's a totalitarian system. It is a system of accounting. It's a system of control, absolute control. God's is a system of freedom, right? God invites us to walk with him, to know him, to participate with him. Satan seeks to control. God seeks to walk with and lead. Satan seeks to draw all things to himself for his own benefit. God seeks to give all things to us for our benefit. There is an order. There is a system. There is an organization to the ways both of these kingdoms work, as typified by the central actors behind those kingdoms, God and Satan, right? The question is, which systems are we participating in? When it comes to hearing God... We must also understand the order which typifies God's character and the order which is in rebellion against God, right? And when we understand that, we can begin to understand how to step out of the wrong system and into the right system. We can begin to recognize God's movement in the world and get in line with it, right? part of learning to hear God is understanding how God works and trying to get in line with that work. Because it, 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 it is typified by God's character, God's heart, God's mind, God's perception, God's way of seeing things, God's way of doing things. So when we begin to recognize the nature of God's ordered system or the way that God orders his kingdom, we can begin to not only try to line up with that, but we can also begin to recognize where it is not happening, where there's you know the kingdom of Satan resisting it, right? And the thing, too, I think to keep in mind is, basically, the, the battleground is inside us. All right, it's not outside. It's not, you know, Ephesians. In Ephesians, Paul says, our battle... Our fight is not with flesh and blood. It's with the kingdom of the uh, of darkness in the heavenly realms, right? He says, he says clearly, and I'm you know I'm butchering that a little bit. I don't have it uh, in front of me. But Paul's saying, hey, it's not a fi- it's not physical. In Ephesians, Paul says, this isn't physical. This ain't a physical fight. It's not physical kingdoms. It's not your fight isn't with people, not flesh and blood. It is against a spiritual kingdom of darkness in the heavenly realms. When he says heavenly realms, he's not saying Satan's in heaven, like God's in heaven. He's saying it's spiritual. And he's also pointing to the reality that it has everything to do with what's inside us. The fight is within us. What we believe we will live out, and what we live out will change and affect the world we live in, right? So... Satan knows he cannot directly influence and affect the world, but if he can control people, their beliefs, their ideologies, their allegiance, that he can control the world because through them he can enact his vision of the world. And that's exactly what he's trying to do. And God is also trying to enact his vision of the world. But both do so through people because this is how God set up the world. He set up the world, what, in the very beginning, Adam and Eve. He gave them dominion over the earth, right? So Satan wants control of the earth, but he has to enact it through people because 
we have dominion over the earth, and he wants dominion over the earth, so he needs to have dominion over us. So the battle is inside us. Once Satan has our allegiance, once Satan can, in a sense, trick us into participating with his kingdom and his order, his way of doing things, his way of structuring things, then we're in, right? And the other thing about Satan and his kingdom is Satan's not... Um, um, uh, I was going to say omnipotent. He's not... He can't be everywhere all at once. He's not all-knowing. He's not omnipresent. That's, that's the word I was trying to think of. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere. <sighs> He's localized in a particular place, in a particular manifestation, you could say. So he, he really tries to enact his system through ideas. He's more institutional. God is very organic and relational. Why? Because God can be in relationship with every single living thing and is. This is what my Christian tradition of contemplation calls panentheism. But it's just the idea that God can have direct access or does have direct access and um, relationship with every single person. So God can communicate directly. Satan can't. So Satan has to. If Satan wants to have a universal system that affects the whole world, it has to be through ideas and institutions. And an institution is centered on ideas established, in a sense, you could think of established rules, ideas, principles that govern systems, right? It's not person-centric, it's idea-centric. Satan's system is idea-centric. God's system is person-centric because God can communicate to each of us individually. And actually, that's the paradigm. And there's a reason that's the paradigm Jesus set forth because it's in direct contradiction to Satan's paradigm, so, here's the reality. We live in a world dominated by Satan's desired order. The only way we overcome that is when we get in tune with God personally and God shows us how to overcome it. That's the spiritual process. That's the spiritual journey. That's the gospel message <laughs> that we need God, we need the Holy Spirit to live in a new way, to leave the old way, the old man, to die to the old man. We're going to get into some scriptures. One of them is the outward man is perishing. The inward man is being renewed day by day. It's inward, right? Paul's saying, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul's saying, look, outwardly, the physical, is all, it's all dying. Why? Ooh, because it's dominated by Satan's order, Right? Satan tempted Adam and Eve, and he brought the world into this place of death and dying. Why? So he could have dominion. But his dominion is dying because he can't sustain life. He didn't create life. He can't sustain it. But he, he drew us into this place, you know, um, results be damned. Doesn't matter if everything's going to die. I still want, Satan said, I still want to be in control. I still want to do this no matter what because I'm more concerned about my control than anything else. And so Satan drew the world into a system of death disconnected from God. God draws us back into life, but still the outward will perish. But inwardly, we'll be fine. And our spirit will live. Our spirits will live on. In fact, in 1 Peter, even when Jesus died, it says his body died, but his spirit actually went into Sheol. Like, you know, our bodies die. The physical earth is dying but our spirits will live on. Our spirits are eternal. There's a reason the world is dying, though. There's a reason the outward man is perishing. Because it's, it is, we are living in, a, in the world according to Satan's design. And the paradigm, 
the gospel message, the offer of God, is to begin to step out of it. And that's what I want to talk about. But I also want you to understand that you've grown up in the world, in a world dominated by Satan's order, and to begin to move out of it. It's paradigm shifting. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's challenging. It's, it feels like discipline. It feels like correction. It feels like suffering. It feels like death. It feels like death, burial, and resurrection over and over and over again. Let's jump into some scriptures. You know, it, it, this is why faith is so important. Faith... Uh, let me just look. This is Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. Right? Hold, give me a second. I'm going I'm to look this up. And we'll, we're going to move from a couple different pa- long passages and to talk about this idea of twisties and yips. <laughs> of something. Of, of, of a mind, of a, of a mental perception way of shifting our focus that it that can be disorienting. That's what I want to talk about. It is disorienting when God begins to shift our mindset from the system of Satan's order in the world to his. It is difficult. It feels like dying, and we don't run towards death, we run away from it so. We can tend often to run away from God's discipline, correction, from God's attempt to shift our perception from the ordered system of Satan to his way of being, doing, seeing, hearing, knowing. Cool, huh? Let me jump over to first to... Um, <laughs> I'm forgetting. Hebrews. Okay, it's Hebrews. It's, it's early. Uh, I'm tired. I feel tired. But we're going to do this. Where I'm here. Hold on. I'm just um, looking up this passage. Here we go. Okay. And let me jump back and check my timer. All right, Hebrews chapter eleven. Now, this is a long passage. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of skip around a little bit. Um, maybe paraphrase a little bit. Give some summations of certain sections. But I'm starting with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. Okay? Faith, it requires faith to step out of Satan's ordered system and into God's. Why? Because we're talking about stepping from what is seen to what is unseen. What is seen, what we see and live in the systems of order and organization in the world, what we touch, taste, handle, those are Satan's. So the first thing you need to understand is the system you're used to when you come first come to God, or whether you come to God or not, the system you're used to is Satan's. Man, that, that should slap you in the face. That's truth that should wake you up. Hey, you've been trained not to live with God, and by God's ordered system, you've been trained by Satan's. Does that sound crazy? It's not. It's not crazy. Why do we need to repent? Get, what do we need to get saved from? We have to recognize we've been trained, indelibly trained, to live life in opposition to the way that God lives life. 
that's the essence of salvation, of repentance, of saying, hey, I've been living a wrong way. I need to live a different way. God's convicted me that I've been living apart from God, right? We recognize, well, if you're living apart from God, how are you living? You're living in an entirely different system, which presents an entirely different way of living life. And it's not just a one-time confession and dunking some water, a sip of some grape juice, and you're done. It's, that's an inauguration. That's an inculcation into, a begin, into beginning to walk a different way, to learn how to live a whole different way. But like, it's so, it's so intricate and so deep and so profound and so all-encompassing. The fact that you've learned to live most of your life in opposition to God, and you're comfortable and you're used to Satan's ordered system. That's, that's big. So it's, it requires faith because you have to believe there is something other than what you can see. There's a different way of living other than what looks sensible to you and what makes sense and what's, what you're used to. It takes faith to say, though everything around me tells me this is what life should be. There's an invisible order that I need to step into. It's a certainty of, of what I hope for. I hope to be holy as God is holy. I hope to live life with God. And it's a, a proof of things not seen. So you've, we're, it's so, not only is it, is it hard to step into God's ordered system because it's not what we're used to, it's also hard because it's, it's something we don't see. In the most practical sense, when we walk through the world, when we go to work, when we go grocery shop, when we drive our cars, we're operating in a system everywhere that, that does not reflect God's order. It's not seen. We don't see it. We have to understand part of the enormity of this task of, be, of letting God lead us out of what we're used to is the fact that it, we don't see it. Like In large part, the examples we see in life of how to live life are not examples of God. So we need godly examples. And when we get to, uh, when, when uh, at the beginning of chapter 12, it says, it's really cool. So 11 goes through, goes through all these examples of people that live by faith. And the 12 starts out by saying, now, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, press on. Like you have these examples of people who lived by faith, who stepped out of the ordered system of Satan and leaned hard into living life with God according to God's order. You have these examples. But it calls them a cloud of witnesses. I think that's not by mistake. Look up. Where are the clouds? Right? Here we go. We're looking up to a higher standard. If you look, you know, we're often just looking down or looking in front of us or looking around us. And what do we see? We see a system ordered by Satan. And if we're just looking down and around us, we won't see it. But we've got to look up to the clouds, up to a cloud of witnesses, up to a different example, a higher example, right? <laughs> this is so cool. Uh, so, That was verse 1 in Hebrews 11, that's, that faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. That's the NIV, which I've memorized. I read from the NASB. Now, faith is the certainty of things hoped for and proof of things not seen. And then verse 2, for by it the people of old gained approval. By it the people of old gained God's approval, God's stamp of saying, yes, this is the kind of life I want you to live. This is the kind of life that's my kind of life. By faith, we understand that the world has been, was created by God, by the Word of God. I'm going to kind of just paraphrase her. It says, By faith, Abel offered 
about a sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken up because he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he proves to be the one who rewards those who seek him. So I like the seeking, you know. Um, it's, he says, by faith, it's impossible to please God. We have to believe in something higher, greater, better than what we see. Again, faith. Certain of what you hope for, or sure of what you hope for, certain of what you can't see. Certain of what you cannot see. Faith. I can't see it, but I trust that it's true, so I'm going to try to walk in it. And it's, but it's hard because all around me people are going, Ah, oh, you're stupid. You, what, do you, what do you mean? Love your enemies. What do you mean? Be joyful in suffering. What do you mean? Don't chase after money, fame, power, prominence. What do you mean you don't care about how you look and your image on social media? What do you mean? That doesn't make any sense. Why? Because it's not visible. It's not seen. People don't see it. Like, Satan's system is all around us. And people are just going along going, well, this is just the way the world is. Right? Well, it's the way the world's been set up by a mind, not God's mind. Right? So, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You have to believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This, now, you know, again, we can misunderstand this. Well, if I do the right things, God's going to reward me. No, he's saying, when you live according to God's life, you will receive the benefits of God's life. Cool, huh? Chapter, or this is verse 7, chapter 11 of Hebrews. By faith, Noah, being warned about God. Uh, sorry, let me start again. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. That's pretty cool, man, the ark. This, this ark is used as a metaphor. Of course, there was the ark of the covenant, which was also a container that contained God's presence. But like, in verse 7, it says... He was warned about things not yet seen, right? Well, the cool thing about like God's kingdom is it's coming. Jesus said God's kingdom is coming. He said it's here now. It's coming and it will culminate. But it's like, you know, even in this Noah story, God, like, God showed him what was coming. He believed it even though it wasn't there. And what? He built the ark. I mean, it had to take a long time, right? He's building a boat in the middle of a desert. Well, in the middle of dry land. I'm not sure geographically if it really was a desert uh in the in scripture the term desert just meant wild places not like out of the city places not necessarily what we think of a desert as sand but deserted it really meant deserted places anyway he's out he's building a boat on dry land like for years and years and years and people are walking by going crazy noah crazy dude what but yeah who uh, yeah Build a boat in the middle. There's no water here for thousands of miles and miles. You know, dude, you're stupid. You, that, what are you going to do? Right, water, water's going to come. Yeah, sure. Like, imagine what it took for Noah to build that boat year after year in the midst of a city, a group of people who had a different vision, didn't see God's vision. And day after day, Noah's being told, you're crazy. This is, this is stupid. God told you, whatever. Right? This is a great metaphor for how God calls us today to live and move according to a different ordered system than the system of order we see all around us. So people are going to, when we do that, people are going to be constantly saying, You're stupid. What do you mean there's some unseen order that's higher, that's different, that calls us to a different standard? What do you mean? 
And what do you say? Oh, there's a cloud of witnesses. There's people before me that have lived this way. I can see it. I got to look up. I can't look, can't look in front of me. I can't look around me. I got to look up. Just like Noah. People around me are going to call me crazy. It doesn't work. It's stupid. You know? Maybe even religious people. I had that happen to me um, when I was 29. God called me to go back to college. I had the best job I've ever had two years at a print shop. I was an apprentice to become the night shift manager of the bindery. It was making the best money it ever made. I was, it was a company my dad worked for. and um, Sorry, I'm just jumping back. to. It was a company my dad worked for. God called me to go back to school. Scared the heck out of me, really. It was, it was crazy. I didn't know how I would pay for it. I didn't know how it would work out. But I remember um, the six-month period as I was preparing. I just met person after person after person that said, God told you, to, that's stupid. You're crazy. God told you to do that. Why would you leave the best job you've ever had, the most promising job you, you probably could ever have? It's a job that has limitless possibilities. That You know, you can end up making $30, $40 an hour. Um, great company, strong company, smaller company. Like... I got, in the first year, I got a dollar raise. In the first year. The Christmas bonuses, health insurance, like, it was, I had a good thing. I was leaving a good thing for an uncertain thing, and people were like, that's stupid. Why would you do that? Well, why? Because God told me to. And I, what, by faith, I believed it. It was hard. I had doubts. I had wrestling. I struggled. My Even my dad, who was a pastor, said that this is dumb. What? What are you talking about? Like, even my dad, who was a pastor who knew the Bible, told me that it was stupid to say I heard something from God and I was going to do it. Well, what if I was wrong? What if I was wrong? But what if I had enough faith to find out whether I was wrong? And what if God was going to hold me anyway? And what if God was more concerned about me walking by faith than getting something right? And that was the truth. That was the biggest, probably one of the biggest steps of faith I've ever taken. Because I didn't have a really great ability to hear God at that time. And yet, I, I heard God pretty dynamically. I was certain of it. But I was scared, too. And everybody around me was telling me it was stupid. But I did it. And that one, that one step of faith has changed everything about my life. As all steps of faith do. <laughs> Big steps of faith are little steps of faith. Sometimes it's little steps along a steady course that changes. Sometimes there's these moments of big faith or big steps of faith that changes intrinsically, indelibly, but both lead us to a different life, and that's just how it is. <sighs> Back to Hebrews. Um, verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he left not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as a stranger in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to back up a bit. This, I, when I was, when I heard God call me to go back to school, this is the exact Story, the exact passage that came to my mind. Like, God called Abraham out, right? 
He said leave, but he didn't tell him where to go. That's faith. Hey, leave where you're at. Where am I going, God? It's not where you're going. It's who you're following that matters. That's faith. Faith isn't where, are, where am I going because that is what? If I need to see where I'm going, I'm not walking by faith. I'm walking by sight. And that's the system of Satan. Satan is all about control and security and comfortability. And if you don't know where you're going, you don't go. That's Satan's system. That's Satan's order is make sure you know. Make sure you're prepared. Make sure you, everything's in your control. Make sure there's no uncertainty, no doubt, no struggle, no wrestle. No, I don't know. No questions of how you're going to, like, how is it going to work out and how am I going to eat? And where am I going to live? That's faith. When you don't know and you go anyway, that's faith. Satan will always tell you, don't do that. That's stupid. It's safe. How do, how's it going to work out? Where are you going? Doubt, 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 doubt. It's okay to doubt, but don't let doubt lead your journey. Sometimes doubt shows the way. How's it going to work out? God, how's it going to work out? Follow me and find out. Okay. I'm doubting God. That's okay. Just keep stepping. Walk through the doubts. You walk with the doubts. You walk through the doubts. And the fact that you're doubting means what? It means you don't know. It means you're living by faith, right? When you live by faith, you doubt a lot. But you don't listen to the doubts. But the doubts show you that you're walking in a way that you have no ability to control or see. Abraham left not knowing where he was going. And I love verse 10. He was looking for the city whose foundations and whose architect and builder is God. City. This is, he's not looking for a literal city. We, you know, we can think, oh, hey, he's talking about heaven, the, you know, and Revelation, the, the, the gate, 12 gates and the golden streets. And, no. City represents, almost always in the scripture, city represents an organized way of living. The city, what is the city? It's an organized system of human culture. That's what it is. So, in verse 10 in Hebrews, when the writer says that Abraham was looking for a city whose foundations and architect and builder was God, he's saying he's living according to the ordered system of God. It's not seeable. Like, it says, oh, this is, and we're going to jump to this verse next. We're going to skip forward a little bit. But uh, let me just go there, actually. Verse 14. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of the country which they left, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. See? He's like, like it's, it's easy to see the city of Satan. The ordered system of Satan. In verse 10 in Hebrews... I'm just thinking, I got so much I want to get to. I don't know if I'll have time. But verse 10, it says, Abraham was looking for a city whose foundation, architect, and builder was God. Right? And then verse 14, it says that those who live by faith, it's kind of, this in the middle of Hebrews, it's, it's kind of a summation of what's, what's of, of all the people that it's talked about that live by faith. He's talking about these people who say such things, who are seeking a country of their own, they show that they, if they wanted to, they could go back to what? To the old country, the old city, the old ordered system. But they're seeking something else. They're seeking to live in a different way, 
in opposition to the world they live in, in an unseen way, a way of faith that has its sights set on something higher, but still unseen. It won't make sense to the world around it. And like, here's the thing, we walk through the world, and at any time, at any given day, in any given moment, we can choose to walk in concert with Satan's order or God's. Even though we're kind of on a journey towards God, it's a moment-to-moment thing. And it's every decision we make, every action, every emotion, every thought. Scripture says take every thought captive to Christ. Everything can reflect one system or another. And it does. There's no neutral ground here. There's no vacation land in the world. Where there's two systems and you're either operating in concert with one or the other and everything you do must be done in light of one or the other. So we have to begin to look at everything we do in light of what system are we aligning ourselves with. Are we living in a way according to Satan's ordered system or God's? Right? And here in Hebrews it goes on and on about this idea and I, I think I'll, I'll jump way ahead because the rest of Hebrews just talks about more examples of people who live by faith, who showed that their sights were set on a different kind of system and a different way of living, God's way, God's city, God's country. These are all metaphors that, that try to point to this reality that there are two systems in the world. There's two ways of organizing the world. There's two orders, systems of order. There's two different systems telling us how to live life, what life should be like, what makes life good. And we've got to recognize, we've got to begin to see everywhere we look, there are battle lines drawn in individuals, in countries, in cities, in states, in institutions. And some institutions are more given to Satan's order and some are more to God's. And there's always this interplay because these kingdoms are spiritual, but they manifest physically. They manifest through people's actions. They manifest through institutions. They manifest through ideologies. And everywhere we look, we must start to recognize there's two, there's, two, there's two systems of order. There's two different worlds that we can live in. But we also have to recognize we start out in the wrong one. And we've got to move towards the right one. I'm skipping ahead from Hebrews 11 to Hebrews 12. I'm going to jump back real quick and see what kind of time I've got. (laughs) Okay, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now look, look, we have a witness of people who've lived this life before us. And that writer says, get rid of every obstacle and the sin which entangles us. The sin. I've talked about this sin and sins. The sin is living independent of God. The sin that entangles us is choosing to go our own way or God's way. Choosing to live life according to what makes sense to us. I mean, Satan doesn't invite us into his kingdom uh, 
blatantly. He's, he invites us into our own. I mean, I'm not sure if you understand that, but Satan doesn't say, hey, follow me. He says, hey, follow yourself. You know, dude, you're, what do you think? He offered Adam and Eve the knowledge of good and evil. He offered him knowledge. He said, you're smart. You can figure it out. You don't need God. You can be God. You can do it. Satan's, that's what Satan's message is. You can do it. You're smart. You got this. What? You don't need a guide. You don't, God, you, look, you're made in God's image. You got this. You can figure it out. Read the Bible for yourself. Yes. You can figure out some good theologies. Oh, yeah, that other church is stupid. Yep. They don't know. But you can know. You're smart. You've studied. You've sat at the feet. You've read commentaries. You've read devotionals. You read your Bible. You're smart. You can do it. That's sin. Thinking you can do it. That's Satan's system. He doesn't call us into his. He doesn't call us under his control, but he leads us under his control by trying to lead us out of God's, out of God's guidance into thinking we can control things for ourselves. The sin that entangles us is that sin. I can do it. And Satan's like, ah, gotcha. Now you're, now you're mine. Yeah, you can do it. That means I can do it. If you can do it, that means I can control you because I can't control you when you're under God's system, when you're under God's guidance because God will lead you in a different way. And I like this. It says, run the race with endurance. Like, hey, this is a race. It's not a sprint. This is a long distance race. It's your whole life. Run with endurance, right? Pace yourself. It's slow. Take it easy. Set your pace. And it says, looking only at Jesus, the author of... This in uh, NASB says originator and perfecter. Uh, NIV says author and perfecter of our faith. Right, faith. Look only at Jesus. Right, look up. Your examples are up, and and look at people who follow Jesus too. That's the cloud of witnesses. Right. It's cool. He mentions the cloud of witnesses and Jesus both as good examples. Jesus is our ultimate example, but other people who have followed Jesus well are also our examples. But look only at him. Whether you're looking at his followers or him, you're looking at him, right? So, like, stop looking around you at all, at all the people around you and how they're living and listening to them because they're going to tell you you're stupid for, for, this, for following God, for, for following what is unseen. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. The word author or originator here is archegos. It's a Greek word. It means pathfinder, trailblazer. Like, Jesus goes before you and marks out the trail. You don't follow the trail. Again, not what is seen. You're not trying to see the trail, see the destination. Not trying to figure out how to get there. Not trying to prepare yourself. You're just trying to follow Jesus. You're trying to set your eyes on Jesus. Looking only at Jesus. Learn to see Jesus. Jesus goes before you. And he leads the way. He's the trailblazer of your life. He's the pathfinder. He goes before you and marks the trail that you're following. And what, what, and what was... What typified Jesus' way of living that we are following? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Like, he, this way he followed led to a cross. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I was following Jesus, and all of a sudden I, I ended up in some bad struggles. I ended up in some suffering. I ended up not feeling so good. Uh-oh. I hit a cross. I came to a cross, and... It was painful, and I thought it wasn't God. But actually, God leads us to a cross so we can learn to put to death what? The old man. 
which is typified by living in the ordered system of Satan. We have to put many, many, many things to death because we've learned to live away in a way in complete opposition to God, which has to be put to death. We start out following Jesus and we come to a cross and we have to make a decision. Are we really going to do this thing? Are we really going to start to suffer in the ways necessary to help break our addiction to our own control and our own way of doing things, which puts us in control and feels comfortable and it's what we can see. It's not the unseen, which is scary. It's always scary when you're not in control. I had, I had this, this analogy. Like imagine you're driving down the road on the interstate and you're going 90 miles an hour and all of a sudden you can't control your car. Scary. That's what it's like. God's like, hey, you're, you've been in control of this, of, of this thing you call life. And now you've got to learn to let me be in control. And that is scary and it's disorienting. It's like twisties and yips. It's like you were in the middle of a vault and all of a sudden you're not in control of yourself anymore and what are you going to do? You're going to, when we feel out of control, what do we try to desperately grab for more control? Or, or God says, hey, this is a moment for you to learn to trust. I'm pushing your life circumstances in a way that's pushing you out of control, but it's only pushing you out of your control because I want you to learn to let go in these moments and let me be in control. When your life is careening out of control, it's not careening out of God's hands. It's actually careening into God's hands. It's moving into God's hands because that's the place where God is more in control when you stop trying to control. That's why it's a cross. And look, verse 3, it says, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners, right? Again, we think, we think sin, we think of all the different sins when we hear sinners, but sinners are people who are not following God. In the biggest sense, they're living according to the order of Satan. And so when you're following Jesus, you're going to have, you're going to have to endure hostility from people who aren't, who are going to say, you're stupid. Ah, you're, are you serious? God told you, God showed you, God revealed that. Are you serious? You're living life like that. You're letting go of what you want, of control of your own life, of your own destiny. You're not going to be the master of your fate. You're going to give up control to God that you can't see and can't hear. I hear God. Well, that's crazy. You're crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> this may have to be a two-parter, man. I'm just getting warmed up. <laughs> oh, boy. I love it. Um. Now we go to verse 4 in Hebrews 12. <clears throat> so he said, consider Jesus, consider his suffering, the cross, consider the opposition he endured. And then verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are punished by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he punishes every son whom he accepts. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Should we not much more... Uh, Surrender to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in His holiness. Oh man, this is so good! 
Like the first thing he says, you've not resisted. You've not resisted this ordered system of the world to the point of shedding blood, and you're striving against it, right? He's like, look, as long as you're alive, shedding blood means you've died. Like until you die, you're going to continue to have to resist this ordered system because it's all around you. It's pervasive. It's invaded every nook and cranny of your world. It's in the educational system. It's in the government. It's even in religion. It can even be in churches. It can even be in theologies. It's everywhere. You, until you die, you're going to be having to resist the dominant way of living life as modeled by the world in order to live life according to God. And he says, don't forget, even beyond the struggle against this other ordered system, God's disciplining you, right? And he quotes this passage from the Old Testament, which I don't know, doesn't say. Um, like your sons, God's going to discipline you. He even says in, in the NASB, it uses the word, he punishes every son he accepts. He punishes. Now, we always think punishment is punitive, just like God's mad at us and we did something wrong and so it's just punishment. No, God's correcting us what to train us to live a different way. Even punishment from God is like it's loving correction to move us in a different direction to help us learn a different way of living according to God's ways. It says it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. If you're truly a son of God, a daughter of God, God's going to discipline you. He's going to correct you. He's going to refine you because he needs to train you how to live in his ordered system because that's what really gives life. And he's also trying to break you of this very pervasive way that you've learned to live apart from God. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to even understand that we don't have much of a clue how God desires us to live. I love in verse 10, it says, you know, he's talking about all this discipline. And he says, hey, you know, your earthly fathers disciplined you. And you thought it was pretty good, even though it was not perfect. But how much more God, when God disciplines? And he says, he does this so that we may share in his holiness. Holiness means set apart. Like, again, God's ways are high. And, and Isaiah says, as high as the heavens are above the earth are God's ways. Like, God's ways are above what we're used to. God's holiness is so separate from the way you've been trained to live in the world, which is ordered according to Satan's system. It's, but we have to be disciplined. We have to go through suffering. We have to struggle. It's so disorienting. We have to learn to be yanked out of the way we're used to seeing things and doing things so that we may learn to see and do things according to God's ordered system. It's disorienting. It's a struggle. It's suffering. It feels like discipline. It feels hard. But it's loving. It's God's love for us. It's out of God's love for us. And then verse 11. For the moment, or in the moment, all discipline seems not to be pleasant, but painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It, it's painful. Like, hey, guess what? God's going to lead you into hard things, painful things. It's not going to seem pleasant at the time. If you stick with it, if you endure, if you walk by an unseen way, it will yield 
the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It'll yield peace, the, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's so good, right? But like, okay, so here's the question. Where is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in your life? Are you very much at peace? Are you very self-controlled? Are you gentle? Are you loving? Are you kind? Are you forgiving? Guess, another, guess what another word for patience is. This is an old, old King James bible word. Long-suffering. Patience. Long-suffering. Are you willing to suffer a long, long time through the process of God refining you to be more holy, to be holy like He is holy, to, so that it will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness? Where is the fruit? Where is the evidence of, of the reality that you're living according to God's ordered system instead of Satan's? Well, how much... How much do you love? How well do you love people? How much patience do you have in life day to day? How much joy do you have? Are you bitter? Are you angry because that party's in control or that party, that agenda, or that person's a leader at church, or that guy got the, the raise at work? Are you kind? Are you gentle? Are you self controlled? Can you drink just one pop a day? Can you drink just one cup of coffee? <laughs> Can you eat just one slice of cake? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's up to you. Like, it's different for each of us, right? But like, how are the fruits of the Spirit bearing fruit in your life? Right? And the cool thing about fruit is a tree bears fruit not for itself, for others, right? So like, the fruits of the Spirit in you will reflect in how you treat others. And how others see you living in the world, right? Here's the thing. Here's the cool paradigm shift. And here's the cool tables turning thing. Is like people may walk around and say, you're stupid. You're, you're, you don't care about the things that, that everybody else cares about. But then when they see how you treat them, they'll be like, wow, you're different. Wow, you don't treat me like everybody else. So what? <laughs> you could be like, okay, so you think I'm crazy, you think I'm crazy for living this different way, but, but you like how I treat you and how I don't treat you like everybody else, right? Because what, what does the world system say? Get everything for yourself. You got to pursue your, you got to get your piece of the pie. You got to build your little kingdom. You got to, you know, build your castle. You got to get everything for yourself. You got to try to get the bigger job, the, the, the pay raise, the nicer car, the bigger house, more and more and more for yourself. And it's all about you. And you just take and you take and it doesn't matter who you run over or who gets in your way. Bam! You kick him to the curb. You kick him to the side. You step on him. You use him as a mat. You use him for your own benefit. You use people to, for your, to accomplish your own means and agenda. And that's what everybody's doing. And why wouldn't you want to do that? That's so crazy. And yet, what? When you don't do that, people are like, oh man, you care about me, not just yourself. Wow, that's so refreshing. I, man, you stopped to take time to help me. You weren't just about getting to your thing or doing your thing or I was I wasn't just an obstacle in your way and you kind of just shoved past me you didn't treat me unkindly wait a minute you don't live like this world do you wow that's refreshing um I'm probably gonna butcher this first but scripture there's a scripture that says live such quiet lives among the pagans that though they curse you they will see 
your good deeds and praise God. I, I'm really butchering that, but it's that same idea, right? It's like, just live a good life. Love people really well. Be a presence of peace. Be joyful. Be patient. Be kind. Be gentle with people. And they'll be like, whoa, you're not like everybody else. At the same time, they're saying, wow, you're stupid for not being like everybody else because you're not out. You're, if you don't if you don't take care of yourself and you don't stick up for yourself, you're just going to get run over. And, and yet the same, in, that, in the same breath, they're like, oh, but thank you for treating me so kindly. Thank you for stopping to take time for me. Thank you for noticing me. Thank you for noticing that I was struggling. Thank you for caring about me. But wait a minute. You just said I was stupid for not being about myself and for not being self-centered. And yet you also just said you love the fact that I'm not self-centered. <laughs> Dang! And yet you still live that way. But hey... Do you want to know my secret? Do you want to know my secret? (laughs) It's an old 50s song. Um, Hey, do you want to know why I'm so caring? Why I can stop and take time for you even though I'm busy? And yes, I have my things. Yes, I have kids. Yes, I have a family. Yes, I have a business. Yes, I have a life. But you matter. You know why you matter? Because I've lived to learn a different way. Because I've learned to live by a higher standard. Not the standard I see all around me. But a standard I see above me, there's a cloud of witnesses, the greatest of which is Jesus Christ, who set an example, a way of life. That way of life is epitomized by a single symbol, the cross. It's summed up by a single object, like this whole thing, the cross. Why? I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. I no longer live. I've given up my rights. I've given up my desire to get what I want. I've given up my desire to control and try to get, even to get God to do what I want and give me what I want. It's not about what I want anymore. The cross stands at the center of the life of God as a symbol of what it means to live life with God. It means you die to everything that you thought you could do and get for yourself. You die to yourself. You die to a self-centered life. It's profound. It's dynamic. It's paradigm shifting. It's also disorienting. It's like the twisties and yips. It's like you were moving along. You were doing fine. Everything was in your control. You had your dreams. You had your goals. And all of a sudden, you're in midair. You're in a somersault. And all of a sudden, you lose control. Everything goes haywire. And you're falling. And what are you going to do? Oh, I guess I just need to try harder. I need to over I need to push through. No. Maybe in that moment, that's an opportunity for, and that's God saying, step into a different way of life. Step into a different way of living. Step into my paradigm, my system of order. Look, you're living in a certain way. It's disorienting to step out of it, to be pushed, nudged, led by the Spirit, to see things a different way. Man, there's so much I I still have to say and want to say and want to talk about. But the first basic principle when it comes to hearing God, seeing God, living by God's ways, is it's going to be, it's going to feel more like correction and discipline. It's going to be disorienting. It's going to be oppositional. It's going to be hard. It's going to be struggle. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be safe. It's paradigm shifting. It's disorienting. It's not going to feel good. If you want to hear God practically, Start to lean into those times when things are out of control and recognize that maybe God's calling you out of your control and into His. Hey guys, this has been a Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. Um, I really love you guys. and 
I'm going to continue. Uh, this, this is not done. We're going to go. I had another passage looked up. We're going to go to that next time. We're going to continue to talk about what it looks like to start to lean into God's ordered system instead of Satan's as a part of what it means to hear God and live life so close to God that God can direct you personally. Hey, my website is www.moderncontemplative.com or you can check out my YouTube channel at J. Randall Ori. Love you guys. Peace and life to you. Amen. Bye.